Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Tuesday, September 28th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. The Royal season is winding down, six games left starting tonight, but there was plenty to discuss on our final Sportsbeat Live broadcast this season, this with Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian. Will Salvador Perez get the Royals record for home runs in a season, and can he top the American League in homers and RBIs? Who is the Royals Pitcher of the Year? There are a few candidates. And how can minor league success translate to the major league level and how quickly? Plus, we bid farewell to Mike Swanson, the longtime Royals Vice President of Communications. This is his final week of duty before retirement. So let's get started talking Royals. Hey, good morning from uh, sunny, still sunny Kansas City, and welcome to Sportsbeat Live, our weekly conversation about the Kansas City Royals with the folks at the Star who know them best and with you. You know the operation. Send us your questions and comments, and we will address those here. And by we, I mean Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian. They're here. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning, Blair. Good morning, Lynn. I've already talked to you, Lynn, more than I did last time I saw you at the game because we both had our heads down and we're typing. It's good to see you. <laughs> likewise, likewise. Hey, shout out to our sponsor, the University of Kansas Health System. We will hear from them later in the show. So this is the last week to catch the Royals. Um, The final week has arrived. Well, technically it arrived yesterday, right, with the makeup game in Cleveland, which the Royals dropped 8-3. to But uh, the regularly scheduled final week has arrived with three games against Cleveland and then three more against Minnesota to close out the season. Um, so, I, 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 listen, Fahey, you and I were here in 2014 and 15, and, uh, and and how much fun did we have covering those teams that, that went on to the World Series and, of course, won it in 2015. The years since then have been, you know, a couple years after that, they were, the Royals were involved in, um, you know, 500-ish and in the in the chase until the final few weeks of the season, and then a couple of 100 loss seasons after that. And of course, last year did not get into the you know into the expanded playoff. So I guess it's a roundabout way of saying uh, the final week of the regular season. To me, it's it, even though there, there's no postseason here for the Royals, it's still a little sad. I. I you know, maybe for you and I, maybe not for Lynn. I'll, I'll get Lynn. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, just to have the Royals on, or you, you know, in the stadium or you have them on TV, you know, it's sort of the the, um, the, the background noise in summer and, and uh, you know, late spring and early fall. It's a little sad when baseball presents. I don't know if we feel that way about a football team. You know, you, we've covered the – and I've been around for a lot of bad chief pieces where you just got to get this piece over with. And, and Lynn, you were in an NBA city before coming here. I don't know what it's like in an NBA or an NHL city when the a non-playoff season ends. But there's, I don't know, maybe I'm romanticizing a little too much about the end of the baseball season. I like your point, Blair. I mean, it it is funny. Even when, um, you know, the Royals have been out of any race for a long time, um, there's something about the rhythm and uh, and 
ambient noise or whatever you want to call it of baseball going on all the time that I think strikes a different chord than other sports do. It's the everyday aspect of it. It's why um, there was a different kind of pace to the excitement in 2014 and 2015 than any of the Chiefs postseason runs because it was every day. Um, so, yeah, we'll miss it. And I think, um, you know, Lynn can testify to this better than anybody. Um, we're going to miss it, though, with a little accent on the idea that things are kind of percolating and bubbling up in ways that certainly suggest better days ahead um, and an eagerness to get to 2022. Lynn, it's different for you, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're, you're there every day, right? You're, you're, you are the everyday Royals reporter and um, uh, at the games, you're, you're, you know, you, I don't, I don't know if, if, if um, um, not only at the stadium every day, but once the season ends, it continues to be an everyday uh, enterprise for you. You don't move on. Unlike two years ago, when you did move on from a football season to a baseball season, um, you don't move on to covering the Chiefs or college basketball or anything like that. Uh, but how about how about you? You know, in your um, you, you know you know years of covering baseball, do you find yourself a little you know a little sad going into the final week of the season? I guess a little bit in terms of you know um, you get into the routine, you get into the, the everyday aspect that Vahe alluded to. Um, and that sort of becomes, you know, your, your normal. So when that changes, um, that's a little different. And, you know, um, there's part of you that obviously is like, okay, you can take a little bit of a deep breath and maybe uh, not have to be as everyday <laughs> in terms of being at the ballpark and everything and filing stories and all that. But um, I think there's still, like I say, there's you're going to miss that, but I also think that, that there's part of how the team is going that, that determines that too. I mean, if you feel like there's stuff that you're starting to see as the season winds down, or there's things that um, you're sort of waiting to see how they turn out and what's going to be going forward, then that that sort of plays into that too. Because if you get to the end of the season and you're just like, just put everybody out of the misery. That's one thing. But if you get to the end of the season and you're like, okay, there's, there's some stuff here. then that's, I think that's different. And um, I wouldn't say that this is a put everybody out of their misery type season. I think there's, you know, there's definitely things to look forward to. There's, you know, um, if you're trying to be optimistic, you say, okay, this might, you know, whether it's the pitching staff or some young guys say, okay, this might be something they, they can, you know, have some things to, to really be excited about going forward. And then um, if you're, you know, and in, in in, to me, it's just a matter of, it's really, you know, it's not so much counting on this is going to be so great in the future. It's more like waiting to see how things develop and wanting to see like answering some of the questions that we have. So, yeah, I think there's, um, there's going to be an aspect of missing every day, but then there's going to be an aspect of, uh, you know, um, ready to take a deep breath and looking forward to what's going to come next. Hey, Blair, you'll you'll remember this in ways that neither Lynn nor I could since you were here. And and in a way, it's a it's a meaningless parallel question. In a way, it's it, it could play out as relevant. Do you think is that is this a parallel seemingly hopefully for the Royals to like 2011 when all those guys got called up or is it? sort of in a way the year before that when all these guys are going to get called up. I mean, I, 
I don't know. It, it, it doesn't, it's not a perfect fit one way or another, but I'm just trying to go back to the mood then when they'd emerged from a couple of the hundred lost seasons and some darker days, but still weren't making the turn. Right. A decade ago, 2011 was the year that Salvador Perez made his major league debut. And I think Osmer and Moustakis both made their major league debuts in, in 2011 after and and already on the on on the parent club were Alex Gordon, who may have had his best season in baseball that year, um, as Salvador Perez is having this year, and Billy Butler, of course, on the team. The Royals were still uh, a few years away from from being in the, you know, in, in the postseason. But there was there was some bubbling enthusiasm about what we were seeing with the Royals and in the minor league system. And I do want to talk about that uh, a little bit later on what we're seeing, the uh, the very successful minor league campaigns of uh, of the Royals this year. So, yeah, with, with, you know, with MJ Melendez and Nick Prado and, of course, Bobby Witt Jr. and the pitchers who we have seen come up this year have that have shown flashes of uh, – you know, a, a promise. Uh, it, you know, on, when when they've when they've pitched in uh, for the for the big league club, I I do see that. I, I think the Royals feel that as well. So, um, fingers are crossed. Uh, 2011. You know, we look back. 20 uh, 2011 was a a year that set up big promise for 2012, and 2012 fizzled out. Uh, the Royals fell flat, and uh, that was the year of the uh, our time camp, you know, media campaign that was just a bad PR move and disappointed fans greatly. 2013, of course, they finished 10 games over 500, and then for that sets up 14 and 15. I'd like to think that this team is where the 2012 team was in terms of development uh, um, and, and what we might see from from the Royals next season. Um, so Carrie and Scott have weighed in, and uh, and, and others. I, one thing we're going to do here in a moment is try to identify who the Royals player and pitcher of the year uh, are going to be. I think there's enough evidence uh, s- submitted that we can make some educated guesses on this. I want to know what you all think about that. Who should the Royals player and pitcher of the year should be? And I should, probably should just narrow it down to pitcher of the year because it's, I believe, um, I believe it's obvious, as, um, as, as Scott writes, uh, can Salvi break Jorge Soler's home run record in the last six games? Lynn, I know you had a story that's on KansasCity.com right now laying out what's in front of Salvador Perez here in this final week of the regular season. How about just going down some of the numbers and what, what he's still chasing? Yeah, so he's already, of course, set the the record for the most um, home runs in the season by a primary catcher. That being the um, the distinction there, he's caught at least seventy five percent of the games. It's not, you know, he's only had I think it's still thirty one home runs as a catcher while in the lineup as a catcher. Um, so that record's prob- that record's out of reach just in terms of you know um, he's at thirty one I believe and the record for catcher for um, home runs while playing catcher. Javi Lopez had 42 back in 03. So um, he's had some hot streaks, but um, talking about what, like 12 more, 13 more home runs in um, uh, six games. I'm I'm not seeing that one, but I mean, we've seen some multi-home run games, but I don't know about six of them um, in a row. Uh, But 
the franchise record. He's at 46 right now, still tied for the major league lead with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, and the franchise record is 48. Jorge Soler did that in 2019. So he's really only two behind tying Soler and three from breaking with six games left. So is that a lot to ask? Yeah. But at the same time in this season, I mean, we saw a stretch where Salvi homered in, I believe it was five consecutive games. I remember which it was five. Yeah, I think it was five was the Sweeney record that he matched. Um, With two off, grand slams in there, I think, too. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going off the top of my head, which is probably just a bad idea altogether. But I, I believe it was five. <laughs> and I know it was a Sweeney record, and I believe that it was five that he matched, five consecutive games. Um, he's had multi-homer games. I think he had a stretch where he had multi-homer games back-to-back, too, um, or within a short period of time. So – it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, but again, so that's, you know, two home runs to tie Solaire, three to break that record. Um, the catcher record's probably out of reach. The American League catcher record is a uh, pudge. And I think that mark is 35. So uh, again, as a catcher, and, and Salvi right now is at 31. So that one's probably a tough one, but it, the depending on if he's in the game at catcher for the rest of these games, the last six, and then, um, you know, if he if he gets the Solari, then that means he's probably getting close to that AL record too. 117 RBIs going into uh, tonight's game, which <clears throat> has him four up on Abreu. Uh, am I right about if I got the math right? He's 117 yeah. four up on Abreu. And the other thing I really enjoyed, Lynn, uh, learning reading your story is uh, only a couple of players in in the American League, maybe in baseball, are hitting the ball harder than Salvador Perez this year. And listen, I. That, that, that's a, a stat and a figure that's somewhat new, relatively new to baseball in terms of just uh, the, the, the fan consumption. I, so I don't know where, you know, he's ranked, uh, you know, in previous times in his career, but I imagine this is a somewhat new development and it reflected in his numbers of home runs and RBIs, just the fact that the ball is jumping off of his bat. Yeah, and we saw we saw it last year in the shortened season, and it was one of those ones where it was like, okay, we saw it. Obviously, he had a really good season, won a Silver Slugger. Um, I think it was 11 home runs, or I can't remember how many it was last year, but in the shorter season. Um, but it was, you know, carrying it over to 162 is obviously different. It's, you know, to keep up that rate. Um, I believe it's uh, Judge and – if I'm remembering right, I think it's Judge and um, Tatis might be the only guys who hit the ball that hard. That's 95 miles per hour exit velocity um, on a consistent basis at a higher rate. I think it's those two are the only ones above him. And then raw numbers, the number of baseballs he's hit that hard, the only person who's um, better than that is uh, Guerrero of Vladdy Jr. So, um, I mean, just in terms of hitting the ball hard on a consistent basis from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, there's not many in baseball who've done it like Salvi this year. So, Vahe, uh, let's, not, let's not pretend there's nobody – that there's another candidate for Royals Player of the Year. He may be the most definitive Royals Player of the Year candidate uh, that I can remember, right? You know, Lorenzo Cain won it both in 14 and 15, which I thought, you know, you could, it could have handled, it could have been several players then. But, uh, you know, Whit Merrifield's won it once since then. Uh, Solaire, of course, in, in 2019. But um, Salvi had this thing wrapped up by the All Star break, I think. Yeah, he did. And he uh, certainly 
Got uh, extra fan sentiment at the at the All Star break after the uh, purported snub of the <laughs> during his uh, home run derby appearance. You know, I was laughing to myself earlier, thinking like, how long did that Balboni record stand? Like 30, 30 something years, and who knew that Mike Mustakis breaking it would be like the equivalent of shattering the four minute mile? Now these guys, you know, are, are free to do what they do. Um, but yeah, a little more seriously, I mean, Lynn, Lynn is really identified all these things so well. And I just think, you know, there is a bit of a marvel here. I think today or yesterday was the 15th anniversary of the Royal signing Salvi and the guy is 16 at the time. And, you know, we know a lot of the story, although Dayton was telling me some stuff I didn't realize before how unimpressed he was when he heard that they signed him for $65,000. Couldn't be very good. Um, and then next thing you know, they just keep getting reports up through the system and, uh, I, I bring all that up just to say here he is. At, he didn't turn 32 yet, did he? He's still 31. Right. At, at 31, um, absolutely better than ever. Uh, you know, markedly better than ever uh, in terms of his power. Uh, never had more than 27 home runs before this season. So it's uh, it, it's it's just just great. He is he has lapped the field with the Royals, and it's funny. I mean. If he weren't having this kind of season, you could talk about a few other things. Uh, the best Nicky Lopez he can be was uh, was pretty good this year. It, you know, maybe there's a different sort of category for what Nicky Lopez did. But um, but you're right, Blair. Far and away, uh, head and shoulders above every, the, the rest. You, you know, there is a there is an award that the Royals hand out. It's called a special achievement, right? And and I, I think it's basically a um, almost a runner-up for player of the year, but, um, but, but it's somebody who achieves something that's out of the ordinary, and I think Nicky Lopez might be a, a leader for, for, for that award. Okay, well, what about the, what about the most difficult, uh, the more difficult choice when it comes to uh, Royals awards? Pitcher of the year, I don't, I don't know if anything in the last six days is going to, six games is going to change the strength of the candidates. It's been an odd year. The Royals aren't going to have a starter with, 10 victories this year, I don't believe, right? Uh, eight is uh, tied for the lead. They're not going to have a reliever with, with as many as 20 saves unless Barlow goes, you know, goes crazy here in the last week. But um, who, who, Lynn, who, who do you think are the top candidates for Royals Pitcher of the Year? We've actually had suggestions from, from Scott and Kerry with different names. Uh, so what do you think? Well, um I think the more I think about it, I probably would settle more towards Scott Barlow um, for what he's meant for that bullpen and the number of games that he's had an impact on. And um, again, like you said, he's not going to have 20 saves, even though I think he's up to 16 now, which is twice as many as anybody else on the staff. Um, but just the the presence he's had in terms of being able to pitch in tight moments, be able to pitch as much as he has. I think the only buddy, only person on the staff with more appearances, I want to say right now is Brent's. Um, and, uh, and this is coming off a year where he was one of the most used guys in that shortened season. And his, his, uh, his usage was pretty high the year before that. So he's a guy who takes the ball every time um, and performs, you know, he's one of the better relievers in, in baseball. So, um, and because you don't have a, a starter who's carried it over the entire season. I mean, you look at, obviously, I think one of the suggestions that popped up was Carlos Hernandez. Um, but you're also talking about a starter who 
I think he's fewer than 100 innings in the big leagues this year and who's spent some time in the bullpen, spent time at AAA. Um, I think, you know, it's kind of uh, – I was thinking about this today too is, you know, you sort of forget about Duffy because of how much time he missed. And I think he's still not – I think it's maybe it's like a 20-inning difference between him and what Hernandez has done. Um, and he's. it seems like he was gone a long time ago between the injuries and before the trade deadline and everything. So um, – I think just because of how many games he's had an impact on, I think he's, um, I think he's actually fairly close, Barlow close in terms of innings total to what Hernandez has done too as a reliever, um, which you don't often see. And then, um, yeah, I think that I lean towards Barlow, even though you could make the case for Hernandez just in terms of what he's, how he's performed when he's been with the club. Yeah, Hernandez is six and two with a three six eight ERA. He's made uh, eleven starts, twenty four appearances, eleven starts. Scott, Scott Barlow, 5-3, uh, 249 ERA, 69 games, 16 saves. Uh, Brents and Josh Stamont, I think, are the, the other two maybe effective uh, relievers who, who might gather some consideration. But, um, Bahe, do you have a thought on this? Do you, um, are, are you a I, I, Barlow guy? I, yeah, I think the case is really good for Barlow. I, I, I was trying to figure out the way to, in my mind, to categorize Hernandez just because – I don't know Lynn could speak to this better, I think, but I do feel like he's the guy that surprised me maybe most this year. I, I, I know some people saw signs in him, but I, I thought, you know, with the exception of a couple outings, including that, that Oakland one a, a week or so ago, whenever that was um, pretty nice, pretty nice season. And, and I, I'd have to say, I, I figure he's established himself as, as a, to me, anyway, a, a, a nice component of what they've got coming. And 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 that's with, you know, a, a bunch of other people that you feel like are going to be part of that. So I think he is, um, to me, maybe the, the guy that has uh, been the most pleasant surprise in the pitching. And I was just looking these numbers up. I think they had 28 guys pitched this year, somewhere in that category. They, they've been trying a lot of different people. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they have. They have. Okay, hey, let's take a break here and uh, hear from the University of Kansas Medical System. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the success that the Royals have had at the minor league level. The Kansas City Royals lineup is backed up by the region's strongest team in healthcare, the University of Kansas Health System. We both suit up with one goal in mind, to win. The University of Kansas Health System, official health care provider of the Royals. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important please visit kansascity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. 
We are back with Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian talking Royals on Sportsbeat Live uh, with you. Still got time to get in some questions and comments. And, uh, Lynn, before we went to the break, uh, I, I just I wanted to at least acknowledge the success of what's happened at the minor league level for the Royals. It's, you know, a minor league season structure, unlike anything that, that we've known, right, with every, every major league team with four organizations, right, triple A, double A, and then two, a high A and a low A. And the top three organizations for the Royals this year are uh, had uh, very, very good seasons. The low A, Columbia, in South Carolina finished uh, last in its division. But, man, Omaha, uh, uh, Northwest Arkansas, Quad Cities, really good year. And you know, referring back to the point Vahe made earlier about, you know, about uh, maybe uh, you know, indicator of, of future success, that was true of the Royals minor league system back in, you know, I forgot what year it was when they were Baseball America's minor league or, or, or organization of the year based on their minor league success. But it was one of those years leading into the success that they eventually had. So I, I don't know where these Royals would rank in terms of, you know, fran- you know, organization of the year when it comes to minor league success, but um, better to win games at the minor league level than to lose them. And the Royals have won a bunch of them. They've won, you know, their affiliates have won, and they've also just had success as far as producing individual guys who've been among, you know, some of the top in baseball, whether you're talking about Bobby Wood Jr., MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, um, Jackson Coar when he was in the minors before he came up to the major leagues, one of the top pitchers in baseball, Daniel Lynch. I mean, so they've, they've had it. From the ter- in terms of being able to produce individual guys and as far as team success. And, you know, I'm sh- it, obviously people can just say the team success is whatever, but, I mean, I know the Royals don't think of it that way. I know I've covered other organizations that talked about winning in the minor leagues helps to sort of set the tone and, and develop those habits and, and, and get guys ready to win in the major leagues. Um, and I've talked to players who were in the Royal system when they won, when they were that blue wave that we were talking about, that was the top organization. And part of what they talk about was winning titles. I mean, I think Danny Duffy has referenced how many, you know, he's got the, the, the American league, uh, pennant championship in the ring from that. He's got the world series ring, but he's also got several rings from his time in the minor leagues. And he, he talked about that the last few years several times about how that was a big deal and how they won as a group and how those guys won every all the way up and expected to win when they got to the big league. So it's not something that you just, you know, uh, brush off as it doesn't really matter, at least not. It matters to those guys. And I think that's probably more important than whether or not it matters to us. Yeah. It's not insignificant by, Hey, is it? That, uh, no, I, I don't think so. And, and I, I was going to uh, just add to the Lynn's point there about the, the very last part, which is that, not only have they had those uh, bursts of, you know, success across it that that you know you thought were harbingers of what was to come, but but I I wish I had the specific number of championships in front of me, but I I don't. But Lynn just referred to it. That group, the Duffy, Hosmer, Mustakas, Kane group, won I think at three different levels before they got uh, to to the major leagues. I I think maybe maybe it was just two, but 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 th- that was that really informed their mindset when they got here. I mean, obviously each had their own ups and downs and individual struggles, but, 
they felt like a championship core together. Wilmington was especially successful for the Royals in, in those years. They're, they're high A back in the old Carolina League. Um, just, to, just to note, Bobby Wood Jr., I don't know if he's already done this because I saw this over the weekend, but uh, he was at least uh, going into the weekend one stolen base away from becoming a 30-30 player, um, 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases during his minor league season. It's only been done eight times. Uh, in baseball since 2000, if if he gets that, uh, if he if he becomes a 30-30 guy, so, uh, but but Lynn, one one player who you and you mentioned him is is kind of curious is Jackson Kowar, who right Triple uh, A uh, Central. Well, I don't know how they uh, how they designated, but pitcher of the year, but it just didn't translate and in, 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 into major league success, and he sounded frustrated uh, talking to you and. And others in the media the other day after his after his start in in Cleveland. Yeah, and um, just since I did take a second to look it up, Bobby Witt's still at twenty nine stolen bases, so it's one shy of the thirty thirty. He's already got uh, thirty three home runs, which should actually be thirty four. I, I was reminded of that the other day because he had that one that wasn't counted as a home run because they said he didn't step one home plate, so That's he's got right. thirty three. <laughs> I forgot about that because it was so early in the season, but. Um, so yeah, he's uh, he's one shy, and I think I saw the other day where he's because um, he's their minor league organizational uh, hitter of the year, the George Brett Award. Um, he's got, uh, I think he's the first 2020 guy for the Royals since Alex Gordon in the minor leagues. I remember seeing that. Um, but yeah, Jackson, um, you know, and the thing is, is it's not just the Royals say they see something there and nobody else sees it. It's like everybody sees Jackson Gore has like this is a guy who's got everything you would need. So it's not like it's just, a, oh, the Royals are, you know, holding on to this guy and thinking that, you know, he's going to be something that he's not. It's like, no, everybody who sees him sees what they see, you know, whether that's, you know, the the third-party places like Baseball America and, uh, you know, uh, MLB.com, um, you know, just scouts, people who've seen him, you know, teammates. Like, that's, that's what it's supposed to look like. The stuff he's got is the right stuff. It's just – um, putting it all together. And he talked about it yesterday and, um, you know, uh, I, I was, I, I wrote about today. I was trying to make sure it was the distinction there because he said, you know, he's tired of coming in here and talking about uh, the same things. And it wasn't um, the distinction I was just hoping it was clear was that he wasn't saying he was tired of talking to us. It wasn't like, a, ah, I'm tired of answering these questions. I think it was really a, I'm tired of the way things are going for me on the mound. It's not a, I don't want to be talking about it. It's a, I'm tired of this, the way things are going. And he feel and the other part of that, cause you know, you wonder with a young guy, he comes in there and he's frustrated and he's tired of what's going on. But I think maybe the more important part was he said, what I do feel like we've got an idea of how to fix it. And there's a plan on how to fix it. And he feels comfortable with that. And he's going to get it straightened out. Um, because if he just came in there and said, I don't know, this is, you know, not going right. And I'm just tired. Then, that would be more of a problem, I think, than, okay, we, at least we know what, what we're doing to try and fix this thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I, I don't know what his future is. I, I, you know, he may, he, end up, he may end up being a bullpen piece. I, I don't know. Um, that's, we'll talk more about that after the season. But, um, but that's going to do it for us today. And it's going to do it for this show for this baseball season. So hey, Blair, can I, can I just interject one thing real quick? Please do, bye. Um, I just kind of want to use our forum here to uh, wish Mike Swanson of the Royals uh, 
a, a fond farewell and hopefully we'll have a chance to catch up with him more soon. But uh, as we know, this is his last week after uh, what is it? 1726 years uh, in the job. And um, in all seriousness, I, I, I know I speak for many when I, when I say he's uh, he's been great to work with and one of those people who's old school, who made it work in this crazy new world of uh, the way we deal with teams. And um, I, I'll miss him greatly. I, I think he's as, 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 as good a person as you could have in that job in, in every way. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead, Lynn. I've yeah, I was, I, I'll, yeah I, 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 there's not a whole lot for me to add on to what Vahe said, except for just that, yeah, it's um, – it makes a difference who you've got sort of helping, you know, like you talk about, we talked about earlier, the everyday, um, when you're trying to deal with stuff every day, especially when you talk about team, that, you know, last few years had some hundred loss season. It hasn't been all the, uh, to go back to a, a reference from earlier this season, it hasn't been peaches and roses the entire year. <laughs> and it helps when you've got somebody like Swanee to, to navigate that as far as, you know, coordinating things from a media standpoint. So it's, um, it's more of a behind the scenes thing that fans might not necessarily notice, but uh, everybody around the team notices. He's such a sentimental lug. Did you see his uh, tweets from Cleveland? His, it was his final, uh, final road game after 43 years in, in the business. And Advahe, uh, you know this as well as, as anybody, he's, um, he's so much part of the fabric of Kansas City sports, not just with the Royals, but his, his career dates back to the uh, – to the Bobby Bell, Willie Lanier, Len Dawson Chiefs, and the old Kansas City Athletics as well. And even worked for UPI covering the Kansas City Scouts. Uh, find somebody else that was <laughs> ever involved uh, with the Scouts around here anymore. No, it's un- it's unbelievable. And and uh, and I, I, I've been in this business for a long time, and I think I can say that uh, not only is he the best that I've come across in baseball, but, but Mike Swanson is the best that I have ever come across in any sport doing doing the job that he that he does it's he, he's just remarkable he will absolutely be missed and uh and we wish him uh wish him well in his retirement so uh thanks for all you did for us mike swanson and thanks for all you guys have done for us uh in the audience who followed us all year like i said this is our last show of the 2021 season we'll not stop we will not stop talking baseball. Lynn Worthy, Vahe Gregorian, Sam Mellinger will be part of podcasts going forward. I don't know if they know that or not, but now they do. And uh, it'll be great to continue to continue the Royals and baseball conversation with them. So um, I, I, big thanks to Beth Welsh, who's produced the programs all season long, starting back in February. And um, Neil Nakahoto for that introductory introduction uh, music that, and, and, and video that we put together and the University of Kansas Medical System. Uh, fantastic sponsor. Great to have them on board this year. So for Lynn and Vahe uh, and Beth, thanks very much. And uh, we'll keep talking baseball for you. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. Tip of the cap to Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian for talking Royals. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, I wanted to call your attention to something relatively new. It's called the Morning Sports Edition. 
You know about the Stars E-Edition, you probably even get it. That's a replica of the printed newspaper on your screen that comes with your digital subscription. Well, now there's an updated sports section produced separately that goes along with it. When you open the E-Edition, there's a box in the upper right-hand corner. Click on that and you can access about 15 to 30 pages of sports every day. Maybe you get a link in your email. Either way, it's access to complete coverage of the previous day's sports, news, features, statistics, everything. It's fantastic, especially as baseball season winds down. Hey, look, well, thanks for listening and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC. We'll be back on Wednesday with another episode.